1: When we left off last time, it was 2003, and the Ecuadorian plaintiffs had just agreed to refile their case against Chevron Texaco down in Ecuador. At the center of this case were these waste pits, unlined pits where Texaco would dump toxic wastewater from oil drilling. When the case was first filed in 1993 in New York, Texaco said it had cleaned up its fair share and that anything left was Petro-Ecuador's mess. The plaintiff said the cleanup was no good and that Texaco had overseen all operations and should clean it all up. That it should be based on who did what, not who got what percentage of the profits. 10 years later, the arguments hadn't changed, but the defendant had. Chevron's acquisition of Texaco was complete in 2001 and it had inherited this case as part of that acquisition. Today, we're going to look at what happened next as the trial got underway in Ecuador. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. Which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires and it keeps the household air clean. AirDoctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. AirDoctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. AirDoctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DRO- I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts. It's called Floodlines from the Atlantic. In this year of crisis, it's worth remembering that the country has been through a lot of big extreme weather disasters before, and history often repeats itself. Floodlines is about Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. It follows the lives of four people who lived through the flooding and its aftermath, and it shows how government failures and misinformation led to tragedies far beyond what the hurricane caused. Host Van Newkirk shows what we can learn today from that disaster 15 years ago. Listen to Floodlines wherever you get your podcasts. A bunch of people told us that if we wanted to understand what the oil pollution in the Amazon really looked like, we had to talk to Donald Moncayo. He was born and raised right at the epicenter.
0: My name is Donald Moncayo,
1: And he was born about 200 meters from the second well Texaco drilled in the Amazon in 1967. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled, Season 5, La Lucha Longa. This is Episode 3, The Trial. If you haven't listened to Episodes 1 and 2, go back and do that. This is one of those seasons. You're going to have to listen to the episodes in order to keep up. Back. All right. American attorney Steven Donziger would partner up with Ecuadorian attorneys who would file the case in the courts there. When the case started kicking off in Ecuador in 2003, Donald Moncayo was the guy who would lead court officials and any visiting press on what the plaintiffs called the quote-unquote toxic tour, showing them abandoned waste pits and pools of oil. People who took that tour would have heard him say something like this. In short, all the toxic waste was released into these unlined pits. Also, they put in a curved Tube so that the pit would not overflow and the oil would settle on either side, they called these tubes goose necks.
0: Nosotros le llamamos cuello de ganso, and 100% of
1: these goosenecks were directed towards rivers, lagoons, or streams. So all that toxic waste they're pumping out would disappear into the lagoons, rivers, or streams. Entonces,
0: Nosotros en la
1: parte de abajo de los ríos, porque aquí so those of us who were at the lower part of the river, we had no drinkable water, and still today there's no drinkable water in the countryside. When Stephen Donziger had first gone to Ecuador in 1993 to help with research for this case, he saw a lot of the things that Moncayo talks about.
2: It was just almost unimaginable, the degree of pollution, the open-air toxic waste pits that had been deliberately gouged out of the jungle.
1: Also in 1993, the original case was filed against Texaco in New York. That same year, the U.S. signed a bilateral investment treaty with Ecuador. These treaties basically exist to protect U.S. companies that are doing business in other countries and to boost American exports. One important thing they provide is access to international arbitration, a separate system that allows the parties to circumvent local courts. Marcos Orellana is an expert on this system. He teaches law at American University and is the UN Special Rapporteur on Toxics and Human Rights.
0: The international investment arbitration can be described as a private system of adjudication that decides on on the propriety of governmental measures, but it lacks the safeguards for accountability and transparency that characterize constitutional democracies governed by the rule of law. If we look back in time, in its origins, international investment arbitration came to replace colonial systems, uh, colonial systems of extraction, of, of domination.
1: In other words, once it was companies rather than countries that became the colonizers in the world, they needed a new system.
0: When the former colonies acquired independence in in the advent of decolonization, largely after the Second World War and the advent of the United Nations, the former imperial powers needed a legal system to protect the economic interests of their corporations, and international investment arbitration offered such an alternative. Uh, Today, in this current day of age, many in civil society see the the arbitration regime as uh, as yet another tool of corporate globalization. Uh, And this is because when governments regulate in the public interest, they become the targets of corporations that utilize the arbitration system to challenge those acts uh, of authority
1: the U.S.-Ecuador Investment Treaty went into effect in 1997.
0: So by the time this
1: case that was originally filed against Texaco in New York in 1993 was refiled against Chevron in Ecuador in 2003, the system Orellana describes was very much in effect. On top of that, Lucio Gutiérrez was president. Gutiérrez had been elected as something of an anti-corporate revolutionary But within the first few months of his presidency, he had become very pro-trade and particularly cozy with the United States. None of that boded well for the indigenous plaintiffs seeking compensation for the damage that had been done in the Amazon. In 2002, the appellate court in New York had ruled that the case against Texaco, which was now Chevron Texaco, should be tried in Ecuador. But the New York court said any final ruling and financial penalty imposed against Chevron Texaco would be enforceable in the United States.
2: We filed and there was a hearing very first day. You show up and both sides present their case or their theory of the case the very first day. And on that day, uh, I'll never forget. Um, Texaco's law- or Chevron's lawyer, local lawyer, uh, uh, his name is Adolfo Callejas, um, been with the company for years and years, read their response to our lawsuit, every word of it. It must have taken him hours, you know. And that told me two things. One is their entire strategy was obstruction and delay. Like you don't need to read every word of a 100-page document. You just could have summarized it. And number two is a main defense was that they were denying that the Ecuadorian courts had jurisdiction because they were Chevron. And And even though they had bought Texaco, it was Texaco that did it, not them. So they had agreed in the U.S. as a condition of getting the case out of U.S. courts and avoiding a jury trial. They'd agreed they would accept jurisdiction in Ecuador. And the first thing they did on the first day of the trial is to claim the case should be dismissed because of a lack of jurisdiction. And holy Moses, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, maybe I was naive, but like, how do you argue one thing in one place? And then you go to that other court where you're bound by your promise and you just try to switch it on the first day.
1: The request for dismissal was denied, and the trial got underway in 2003. Trials in Ecuador work a lot differently than they do in the U.S. They run according to the civil law system, also sometimes called the Roman system, whereas the U.S. got its legal system, called the common law system, from the U.K. The key difference lies in jury trials. We called up Alejandro Garro, an expert on Latin
0: American law, to explain. But one aspect of American exceptionalism, which I think is truly exceptional, is the jury system in non-criminal cases, in civil cases, like in the Chevron case. Mm-hmm. Even England, which is a mother country from where the United States copied the jury system, abolished it in the 19th century, and there are no more jury civil, case, jury, civil cases in England. The
1: initial hearing in the Chevron trial in Ecuador only lasted six days both sides presented their case directly to a judge. But in Ecuador, it's the judge's responsibility to figure out the truth in legal cases, to investigate, figure things out. And that can take months or years. We had Donziger walk us through that first day in court in Lago Agrio.
2: So, you know, I'll never forget the first day of the trial in Ecuador, just like I'll never forget my first trip, you know, in 1993. Um, It was the first day of the trial was in... in, um, October, but the first day was really important because the affected communities, the indigenous groups, there's five indigenous groups that were part of the lawsuit and a lot of other non-indigenous Amazon communities. They organized to come in from all over the surrounding, you know, Amazon rainforest, you know, by canoe and bus and walking and, you know, however they could get to this town where the trial was going to be held. The town's called Lago Agrio which has so much symbolic importance because the only reason Lago Agrio exists is because that's the place Texaco first found oil in 1967.
1: There were very few people in the courtroom initially in the morning, which Donziger thought was strange. He thought maybe the guards had scared some of the plaintiffs off, or maybe they just weren't used to being able to go into the courtroom.
2: It was a very kind of wild west town, and that's where the trial was convening in a building it was like a commercial building that was rented out by the local court um to have a court there the people had come in from all over the amazon and they had organized this big march and there were pictures and signs who and everyone was dressed up in their traditional clothing i got to the court and it, to the building that housed the court the courtroom was upstairs maybe three flights of stairs and the first thing i saw was these armed guards they looked like swat teams from the military that were standing guard outside the court and as the morning wore on and the chevron lawyer Calleja started reading this really boring opposition that just started to take hours um I was like wait a second, you know, I can't wait for there to be a lunch break cuz I'm going down to the street and I'm going to bring everyone up into court. And probably around, I don't know, 11:30 in the morning, you know, late morning when we're soon about to break. I suddenly hear this like rising chant from the street. You know, you know all sorts of chants and noise. And it was like the crescendo, it was like building into a crescendo. You could hear the noise rising and rising. And it made me feel so good because I knew exactly what it was. I knew it was the people affected after decades of abuse were coming to assert themselves and kind of let it all out. And by then, I mean, there had to be hundreds, maybe a 2,000 two thousand people in this little street, this dirt street right in front of the courthouse. And they were standing on trucks and there were microphones. I started talking to some of the people who had traveled, you know, from their ancestral lands to this town. And I'm like, why aren't you guys in the courtroom? C- come up with me. Come come up with me. And Many of them looked at me and they're like, oh, we can go into court? I'm like, yeah, it's your country. It's your court. It's your case. Yes, you can come. When we went back in, I marched up the stairs with, you know, who knows how many people behind me, indigenous women who, traditional clothing and all sorts of people. And we just packed the hell out of that courtroom. And, you know, It was really an emotional day.
1: If Chevron had entertained ideas that this case would move to Ecuador and be forgotten, Donziger's media savvy took care of that. Reporters flew in from all over the world, met with Donziger and the Ecuadorian attorneys, took the toxic tour with Moncayo, and sent reports back home. Here's a clip from NPR's All Things Considered as the trial got underway in October 2003. In northern Ecuador, a trial is underway against Chevron Texaco. The civil suit accuses the company
0: of contaminating the groundwater of a formerly pristine area of the Amazon. The Ecuadorians who.
1: After the- that initial six day trial ended, the court and both legal teams brought in various experts to conduct field investigations to determine the extent of contamination in the areas where the plaintiffs lived and whether or not the cleanup that Texaco had done back in the 90s was sufficient. The court gathered various other pieces of information, too, including historical information on whether or not it really was common practice in the oil industry to dump wastewater in unlined pits. Tim Lagonegro, the geologist and longtime oil industry worker we heard from last time, was pretty emphatic that it was not. You would never put wastewater in an unlined pit. Never. Everyone knows that's toxic water. Putting that into a rainforest, they had tarps in those days, too. Impermeable vinyl sheeting. It, it's just normal. It has been forever. But given how long the case had been going on by this point and how much time had passed since Texaco had left the country, the trial dragged on and on one year, then it was two years, three years. In December 2006, more than three years after the trial had started in Lago Agrio, Chevron filed a complaint against the government of Ecuador for failing to resolve cases quickly. That complaint was in reference to a different set of cases, complaints that Texaco had brought up back in the 90s, but the message was clear. Speed it up already or we'll see you in arbitration. On top of all of the obvious reasons Chevron may have wanted to officially complain about the Ecuadorian court system, there was a major change around this time in the country's leadership.
0: Por el PRE, el abogado León Roldós por Red, y Rafael Correa de
1: Alianza País. In the run-up to the election of Rafael Correa in November 2006, various business analysts and think tanks in the U.S. warned that if he were elected, Ecuador would go the way of Venezuela and Bolivia, turning against U.S. corporate interests. Among other concerns was the fact that Correa was staunchly against extending the bilateral investment treaty with the U.S., which was set to expire at the end of 2006. Even fairly mainstream media outlets like NPR played into the idea that Correa was the scary second coming of Chavez. Yesterday's balloting reduced a field of 13 to two men, one a banana tycoon, the other a left-wing supporter of Venezuela's president, Hugo Chavez. Álvaro Noboa, who wrested control of his family's banana business to become one of Ecuador's wealthiest men, held a slight lead through the night, running a close second Rafael Correa, a former economy minister who challenged the political orthodoxy, advocating cheap credit for the poor and renegotiation of all foreign oil contracts. By this point, Texaco had long since pulled out of Ecuador and Chevron wasn't doing business there either. In fact, they never had. But still, a president that was promising to renegotiate foreign oil contracts, that's not really what you want when you're a U.S. oil company defending yourself in Ecuador's courts. It would be another five years before the judge in Ecuador would rule on the case against Chevron, and a lot would happen in the meantime. Next time on Drilled, we hear from the other attorneys in this case. He's talking about mobilizing to put people in front of the courthouse, the the thousand people in front of the courthouse to pressure. And he's saying, literally, we have to pressure the judge. We have to make him know who's boss. Chevron's attorneys get indicted. Accusations of fraud and bribery fly on both sides. And an incredible international PR war kicks into gear. The Sequoias took us to their community hut where we saw the driving force behind the suit. Stephen Donziger, a New York
2: lawyer, far from home. These are people who never believed they had a right to sue an American company in their own court system.
1: Yeah, but you know what Chevron says. They say that this is being driven by a New York plaintiff's lawyer and they don't mean that as a compliment. Drilled is an original production of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. The show was created by me, Amy Westervelt. This season, my co-reporter is Karen Savage. Our editor is Julia Ritchie. Sound design and mixing by Mark Bush. Original score by B. Beeman. Additional production help from Sarah Ventry. Special thanks to Larissa Ikeda. Thanks to NPR for some of the clips used in this episode. Our artwork for this season was drawn by Matt Fleming. You can find corresponding stories, photos, and documents for this season on our website at drillednews.com. If you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you. Your support is helping to make this season. And as a special thank you, if you would like to get next week's episode early, go check your feed because it's there now. If you're listening to this and you're not a Patreon subscriber and you can't wait for next week's episode, go ahead and sign up. It's patreon.com slash drilled. Thanks for that. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.